Hi, everyone. You're listening to Who I Met Today, and I'm your host, Pam Lamp. I'm all about doing one tiny new thing every single day. And on this podcast, I invite you to come along with me and discover something new through conversations with people from all walks of life. I hope you enjoy listening to these interviews and exploring new territory with me. For more people stories and episodes, please visit my website, whoimettoday.com. My guest today is Tanya Singer. For beginners like me or the more advanced knitters out there, Tanya is a treasure. She writes about knitting, teaches knitting, and has loads of recommendations for where to turn for help and inspiration. Hi, Tanya. How are you today? I'm great. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Tanya, recently I've come across a lot of folks of all ages who knit. Some knit sweaters, some baby blankets, some dishcloths and potholders, but they all say the same thing. They talk about all the joy that knitting brings them and what a satisfying hobby it is. Since I'm a beginner, a very beginner, I'm excited to hear the tips that you're going to offer to people like me today. But before we dive into that, I'd love for you to give listeners a cocktail version of your background. Okay. I grew up in New York and my grandparents growing up, one on each side was an immigrant. And I was particularly close to my dad's parents and my dad's grandmother, who whose apartment was pretty much wall-to-wall crochet and knitting. And back then it was the 70s. She used scratchy yarn and the colors you can imagine, avocado green and golden <laughs> rod and all of that. And not always matching in any kind of way, but it was her way. And I thought every woman knit and crocheted because it was so normal and it was so part of our family and everyone had knitted blankets from her. And I thought everybody knit and crocheted. Her husband, my grandfather, who was an immigrant from Europe, was a tailor. And so he was amazing. You know, he would tailor suits. He owned a dry cleaning store. So everybody was handy with needle and thread or needle and yarn. And I thought that that just was how everybody lived. So I didn't realize what an impact that had on me until I was much older. But I I realized that throughout my life, I really was always drawn to textiles. And it was always something that just made me happy that I enjoy looking at, I enjoy touching. It just everything about textiles has been appealing to me. And when my son, who's now almost 20, was a little boy, I found myself staring in the window of a yarn shop in my town and just like, it was like candy to me. And I just wanted to go in and touch everything and look at everything. But I I never felt confident in my motor skills. I didn't think I was like a precise enough person to be good at knitting. And I, I didn't think it was for me, but I thought it was cool that other people did it until I saw a sign in the window that said knitting lessons, all levels. And <laughs> I thought like, <laughs> that is for me. Tanya, so your grandmother did not teach you to knit? My grandmother, unfortunately, passed away when I was eight. So I never got to learn to knit from her. And it really wasn't until adulthood, just somehow finding myself drawn to that knit shop, standing in front of it, looking in the window, where I really felt like, I'm just going to do this. So to finish the question about my background, I had been working in corporate media my entire life. I worked for Yahoo, for Time Inc. Um, Your listeners might know Real Simple Magazine. Sure. I was working all the time and knitting sort of seemed to be the opposite of everything I spent my time doing, which was being tethered to computers and working on internet, you know, everything internet for publishers and knitting didn't seem to fit in. 
I did learn to knit. I started to knit. I got very excited about taking on ambitious projects. I, I went from a scarf to a hat to a baby sweater. That was my progression, which I still think like, wow, that was ambitious to a sampler blanket. And a sampler means like different stitch patterns. So different combinations of knits, pearls and variations on that to create this blanket for my son, which I started when he was, you know, kindergarten, first grade. And I was really into it. And then I dialed up my work commitments again. And the yarn was relegated to a Ziploc bag in the top of my closet and nothing got finished. And that was the end of my knitting. Tanya, I read somewhere when I was doing some research that your young son had brain surgery and that knitting helped you through that horrible diagnosis. Can you speak a little to that? Sure. So I was back in the corporate world. I was working in Manhattan. Actually, was working in political news during the 2016 election where I oversaw Bloomberg's politics division. So it was just an incredibly intense, all-consuming job. I had gone on a family vacation December after that 2016 general election, really trying to decompress with family and came back. And that Thursday after the break, my babysitter called to say, Sam's home from school and he's really bad. Like something's really wrong. So we had no warning. We had no idea. We just spent this week together in the sunshine, trying to sort of just recover from everything happening in the whole world and the the shock of the election and everything. So it was a really, it was really scary. And we knew he's not a kid who was trying to get out of school. He was not feigning illness. Something was very wrong. How old was he? He was 13 and a half. Okay. So we went just, thank goodness, we had a lovely network of people who sprung to action. And also we live in New York where there's access to, it feels like an unlimited number of doctors who could have performed the surgery. So we, you know, we sprung to action, went to six different places to sort of shop around. And there was this craft emerged in my decision-making on this like subconscious level when we went to meet the surgeon at Columbia and his office was filled with woodworking that he did including a pen, like he had made a pen, a normal looking pen out of wood. And I thought like, if someone's going to drill your child's head opened, (laughs) this is the person you want. Like he's working with his hands all the time and he's really precise. Thank goodness. Everything's fine. He's fine. The tumor was benign. So we were really, really fortunate. But I, you know, as we were leaving for the hospital, you know, you feel completely out of control and completely helpless. And I reached for that Ziploc bag of of the sampler blanket that I hadn't finished on the top of my closet. And I just wanted to finish that blanket and wrap him in it. Through the surgery, it's become my therapy and just such an important part of my life, my community, my connection to others, my whole sort of outlook on the world is colored by knitting. A psychologist once told me that your brain can't do two things at once. So if you're knitting or sewing or woodworking, like the surgeon, or painting, you can't also worry. I Hmm. thought I could do two things at once, but evidently I can't, according to this doctor. And that's one of the reasons hobbies are so good for us, because it takes our minds away for a while and allows us to relax. I'm really glad you mentioned that. There is so much science about the power of knitting. Firstly, you're using your two hands, which activates your brain in this very special way. And there's so much science that talks about the reduction of anxiety, as you've mentioned, and everything from 
lowering your heart rate. There was an English study a couple weeks back. I can send it to you. I'd love to see that. I'll put it in the show notes. That'd be great. A couple of a couple of years back, I should say, that measured heart rates of different hobbies, and they had participants wear heart rate monitors and. And you can see it if you watch a knitter sort of get into the zone, into their happy place with their project, you see their entire posture change and you see them relax. And it's such a feeling of calm and joy. It's funny, one day when I was teaching little kids, I taught 65 kids to knit through the pandemic. A little girl said, do you like teaching us to knit? And I said, I love teaching you to knit. It's like I've tasted this amazing ice cream and I want everyone to know about it. What age do you suggest that children begin knitting? I think what's great and what I unwittingly was exposed to was to cultivate a love of fiber and textiles and cultivate a sense of wonder about where things come from, where your food comes from, where your clothing comes from, because, you know, we're living in this AI world where it's like the technology is really running wild. And I think there's something really important about centering kids of all ages in knowing just basic things like here's where this food comes from. It doesn't come from a supermarket. There's a farm. <laughs> like There's mm-hmm. a person who made this cheese and just delighting in like the ingenuity of having figured out like someone figured out how to make this bread, like what the ingredients were that we could use yeast to do this. And, and so I think that you can start really young. And I took my kids to fiber festivals and farms and all those things when they were really little. I wrote a piece about this for Modern Daily Knitting, and I can provide the link to that, which talks about sort of like cultivating a love of fiber arts in young kids. So there's lots of fun things you can do. But in terms of knitting, I really think like that second grade and up is the sweet spot. I think the kids have, I think that their motor skills are just just have come along enough that they can kind of manage themselves and really start to learn. That seems to be like the right age, sometimes younger. And I think the most important thing, no matter what, is that you want the motivation to come from the learner. You don't want to force a kid to do it. It has Mm -hmm. to come from a place of them being excited about jumping in. Well, I know based on the pictures that you have on your website, you knit all kinds of things. And I'm assuming that the beautiful purple sweater on your homepage. I'm assuming you knitted that. Yes, I did. Unbelievable. Well, let's talk a little bit about adult beginners, Mm -hmm. of which I am one. My little granddaughter's other grandmother, who is also a dear friend of mine, is a big knitter. So she has encouraged me to take up the hobby, and I'm trying. A friend and I are taking this up together, And we're having a little difficulty finding beginning courses in our area that work with our schedules. And some people may not even have a knitting shop in their area. So for those of us who would like to learn on our own, do you have a couple of websites that you can refer us to or YouTube channels that specialize in beginner stitches or beginner projects? That's a great question. So I have strong opinions, as you might imagine, and probably most knitters do, about where to start. I start with adults and with children with bulky yarn for a couple of reasons. Now, what is bulky yarn? So yarns are categorized oftentimes by weights, what's called weight, which is a confusing term because what it means to us is really like how thick a piece of string you're looking at. So I try to avoid skinny, skinny yarns. Like I don't give people dental floss in the beginning. Got it. Got it. Like 
And there's a lot of reasons for that. One is that when you're learning to make your stitches more uniform and consistent, it's harder to do what we call tension, control your tension with thinner yarn. And it just requires more work, like from your hands. It's like one extra thing you sort of have to be doing as you're knitting without thinking about it. But it's like the tension matters and it does influence sort of the way your stitches look. So I like to use thicker yarn, heavier yarn that's like a little more forgiving. And that also allows a beginner to see progress more quickly because I remember teaching my son to knit at one point and he said, okay, now what? And I said, keep doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Practice, practice. This is what you do. It's just row after row after row. And I was like, yeah, isn't that great? (laughs) Like, this is the worst, like, you know, but it, it feels like that when it's thousands and thousands of rows or feels like that. In terms of the bigger, thicker yarns, I've used a lot of Loopy Mango but there are other brands that have thick yarns, but I would go with like a sturdy, thicker yarn and they don't have to be scratchy. They can be very soft wool. I like to use natural fibers. I like to teach kids and adults about different fibers and expose them to different fibers. And I do what's called like a yarn tasting and I show them different fibers. So they know they love learning about Angora. They love hearing that you can knit silk and they get grossed out by silkworms and the whole, like, it's just (laughs) fun to sort of, I call it like a fiber feast. It's fun to know about those fibers, but budget doesn't always allow for that or access, as you said. So there are great yarns and I can give you some names, which you can put in the show notes of other yarns that I recommend that are a lower price point, but like sturdy and very good for chunkier patterns. And Loopy Mango has great videos on their sites. Their patterns are usually pretty straightforward and simple and they take, they do a good job of that. We Are Knitters has some good beginner patterns, but again, I would stay in the big, with their bigger yarns, their chunkier yarns, bulkier yarns, and their yarn is accessible around the world. And then in terms of classes, I mean, it's tough. There are fiber festivals in different places and they often tend to cater to like the real enthusiasts. Like it sounds like you're how do you call that? A mother-in-law? <laughs> I, you know, I don't know what the name is. I call her my friend. Let's call yeah. her my friend. <laughs> Your friend. So a lot of festivals tend to cater to enthusiasts, which is hard. But there's a site that I had the good fortune of working on a very long time ago called Craftsy. And Craftsy is an incredible trove of videos. And it's more than anyone can do in a lifetime on Craftsy. So there's everything from quilting and sewing garments to, of course, to knitting and crochet and there's there's everything in there and it's there are some of the most well-known designers and teachers in the knitting world on craftsy and it's it's really an incredible resource so i would start with craftsy my friend and i did find a beginner course and i believe and i'll use the verb loosely we've mastered the basic knitting stitch the basic purl stitch and casting on so now where do we go? And I just didn't know where I should go from purl one row, knit one row. Yes. Okay. This is great. So We Are Knitters does have good baby blankets. In terms of baby blanket, well, first of all, I would happily help you find your way with knitting and happy to talk to you. There's a great website, which I'm sure you know about, that's called Ravelry. You know, I don't know about that. I've certainly heard of it, but I'm sure that there might be some listeners that aren't familiar with it either. So if you could please describe it, that'd be great. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. 
Ravelry will change your life. And it's so funny when I took my first knitting class in that knit shop, which has been long, long since closed, they made me create a Ravelry account. And I thought like, I'm never going to need this. And I can't imagine not having Ravelry. It's such a fun resource. And there's really no good way to describe. I mean, people call it Facebook for knitters, but it's so much more than that. Ravelry is this giant database of patterns. And most knitting pattern makers from little independent designers to huge wool companies publish their patterns on Ravelry. And what Ravelry has, you know, the thing most used on Ravelry is the pattern search. You create an account, it's free. I don't work for Ravelry, so I feel like I should say this. (laughs) No endorsement. Yeah, this is just like where we live, where the knitters live and where the patterns are. If you click on patterns... Once you create account and you go to advanced search, I live in the advanced search, you'll see filters down the left-hand side and it is so amazing and powerful. And you can do everything from the kind of you're knitting or crocheting, the kind of thing you want to make, the ease of the pattern, how much yarn you have, how many balls of yarn, what size needles you want to use, what language the pattern is in. I mean, it's just like an incredible resource. I don't make anything without spending a lot of quality time on Ravelry. (laughs) And it it, sounds like a good way to spend an afternoon, actually. It's a rabbit hole. You're going to go down a rabbit hole. But what's really powerful about it is when people start a project, they don't just purchase the pattern and save it to their library. They often create like they log their projects. So what happens when you do a project is you can see on an individual pattern page all the other people's projects, versions of that project. So it's incredible because it helps you look at other people wearing the sweater they're wearing and saying like, "Mm, that wouldn't look good on me because my body, I see how that fits them and that would be tricky for me. Or I like that, but like not in those colors or, ooh, I love what this person did by making it two colors instead of one color. So it's really fun. And yes, you need a lot of time. I'm assuming that they have some sort of a filter so you can search for beginner projects. Yeah, you can search by difficulty. Okay. So it's great. I think that's a great resource. And then I really think Loopy Mango, they're not like the most economical yarn, but I, I do think they've done a terrific job of really being accessible to a wide range of knitters. So when I, that's where I start people. My own daughter started in Loopy Mango and she knits a lot of Loopy Mango And they have free tutorials and it's not just for entry level, but it's really good for entry level. Like every, everybody uses it. Everyone I know has some, has a whole slew of Loopy Mango projects, but it's a great, like their first hat is like what I knit with kids. I always do the first hat and the hat is a fun, you learn to knit in the round it's called. And once you start knitting in the round, you never want to not knit in the round. Knitting in the round is circular needles? Circular needles. Okay. And yeah, it's a game changer. So a lot of designers, and that's a choice on Ravelry, you can choose to knit things in the round, like when you knit sweaters, and it's a big time saver oftentimes. Well, and the instructor told us in the class that we took that if you are aiming for perfection, you will never finish your first project. And to remember that knitting is art. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. I love that. And that's part of the fun. What are you working on now? I'm guessing you're the type of person that has five different projects going on at the same time. I just started a new project with this beautiful, vibrant Irish hand-dyed yarn. It's called Hedgehog Fibers, the yarn. And I'm making a summer 
poncho. I love a poncho. I feel like I can always wear, they're not like 70s crazy ponchos, but they can be if you want. But I just love to have something to throw over myself and all kinds of outfits and it's super versatile. I've read about Knitting Hope, a project that you founded, and I'd love for you to tell us about that. Somewhere in my travels, just shortly after I my son's brain surgery, about a year after that, a story came out on a website called Moment Magazine. And it was one of those stories that my Jewish friends all shared and shared with me. My knitting friends all shared and shared with me. So it became like, it overwhelmed my social media, my email, my everyone wanted to make sure I saw this story. And the story was about a Holocaust survivor who wore a blue sweater to the Passover Seder or the dinners that we have on Passover every year for 70 plus years since she got out of her three concentration camps. Wow. Knit for her by a friend who she met while she was recovering from all of the trauma, physically recovering in Sweden in a hospital. And this friend, she learned, survived by knitting for Nazi wives who kept her alive because she was producing knits for them and it was cold. And it just a light bulb went off of like, of course, of course a knitter would turn to knitting as a way to survive, as a way to soothe, as a way to whatever you had to do, whatever skill you had. And like how beautiful be it to be able to rely on knitting for survival. And I couldn't get this thought out of my mind of like, well, were there other knitters? Like what were knitters doing? Could knitters knit? And I just started researching and couldn't stop. And I've now been, it's actually five years and we've been collecting stories from the period of the Holocaust. And it was, you know, I really got into it during the pandemic and it was this really dark, scary time for us. And it felt like, hey, we've been through darker, scarier times not to compare, they were both tough, but what did people do? How did women find power? How did women create agency? And through knitting and crochet. And so I found these many stories. And one of the first I found, I published on Modern Daily Knitting. It's called The Little Red Dress of Hope. And The Little Red Dress is an actual baby dress that was knit by a German refugee grandmother for her baby granddaughter who was born in the Shanghai ghetto. The Shanghai ghetto was the last open port in the entire world who were willing to accept Jews into their country. And it wasn't a country even, but it was this last open port that Jews could get to. So between 20 and 30,000 Jews from Germany and Vienna, right after the events of Kristallnacht, which was the night of broken glass, it's huge pogrom in November 1938, where synagogues were burned, books were burned, 30,000 men were taken to concentration camps. It was really like... And it was state-sponsored terror against Jewish citizens in Germany and Austria. And so the writing was on the wall and the Jews had to get out. So this family, you know, actually this grandmother's husband was taken to jail, to, to concentration camp. She liquidated their fabric store, sold everything she could. And imagine a woman in 1938 doing this, just like desperate to get out. And she went to Buchenwald to get her husband out. She said, I got these cruise tickets on this luxury liner, which was all she could get. She spent everything on that. And the Nazis capped what you could bring out. And she packed up her husband and her daughter and her daughter's new husband. And their honeymoon was the cruise to Shanghai. They got to Shanghai and they were forced into this one square mile area and did everything they could to survive. And the family actually ran what they call a transportation business, but 
you can picture, they had rickshaws. That was how they transported things. And she managed to find the time to knit this beautiful red dress for her baby granddaughter. And the baby granddaughter is now a good friend. Her name is Judy Fleischer-Kolb. I just saw her this weekend in Chicago. And she describes the dress as her grandmother. And she says that the dress, first that the grandmother could find the time to do this for her in the midst of such chaos and such, there was death all around them. It was totally unsanitary. It was, they were starving sometimes. It was really hard. But that she wanted Judy to have a normal, she wanted to turn her to feel loved and to have as normal a life as possible. And Judy felt that. Judy didn't know something was weird or unusual or uncomfortable about her childhood. She really did feel secure and loved. And her grandmother was a huge part of that. And so when the museum in Skokie, Illinois, was looking to build their collection of personal items, Judy said, here's this photograph. I'm wearing this red dress and I'm sitting on my mother's lap in the ghetto in Shanghai, which is, again, amazing. And she said, oh, and I actually have the dress. And the museum immediately said like, wow, okay. And I write about this in the piece. The dress became a really important teaching tool for the museum, not just as part of their exhibition and is in the permanent collection, but also as a part of their teaching trunks program. And so Illinois was the first state in the union to have mandated Holocaust education as part of these teaching trunks, which reach thousands of kids every year from middle school up. There are little red dresses that were knit and crocheted by museum volunteers. And there are like 60 plus dresses in these trunks that go around the country. That's amazing. Isn't it amazing? That's amazing. And the educators talk about how when these trunks are opened, kids see this little red baby dress and suddenly humanizes what's otherwise sort of a sea of papers and books and black and white photos. You see a red dress, you can't unsee it. You can't forget you saw that. And so I published the story and with a friend published a pattern for a dress inspired by Judy's dress and then created a knit along, which again, knitters love community and we find each other and we love to learn. And and so through the knit along, we heard from museum educators, from Judy Fleischer-Kolb herself, from other Holocaust experts. And it's been incredible just to connect with a global community of knitters who who want to make a better world. Well, and the pattern is available on Ravelry, is that correct? That's correct. So if anyone is interested in checking that out, again, I'll link to that in the show notes. Thank you. That's a great story. Before we wrap up, you told me earlier that you were invited to a wool crawl later yes. this week. I love the name, but what exactly is a wool crawl? Well, so people joke, knitters joke. There's the act of knitting, there's a hobby of knitting, there's the hobby of collecting yarn, and there's the hobby of buying patterns. And we like all of those parts (laughs) of the hobby. So this is a yarn collecting mission and a friend invited me to go and there's some beautiful shops about that I don't normally frequent because they're like an hour and 20 minutes away from me. And that's a big drive to go buy yarn when I have access to good yarn here. So, but it's exciting and it's in New Jersey and a a number of shops have gotten together and I've been many years before the pandemic I went and it's really fun. They have different designers who we consider famous knitters in the knitting community. And we go, we see these designers and often they have special wool or special colors dyed for these events. And it's just so fun. And you meet knitters from all over the area, the region, including the designers. And so a friend invited me to go. And though 
I don't actually need yarn. You know, I'm going to buy some yarn. (laughs) Well, it sounds like a great field trip and I hope you have a nice time. Thank you. Tanya, as you know, I always like to ask guests what one new thing, tiny or large, they've done or discovered lately. I feel, well, the good thing is, and this is my orientation to the world, and I think how a lot of knitters feel, I feel like I always want to be learning. So I love your podcast and I love what you're doing, encouraging Thank you to always so be much. learning. I didn't mention when I started to knit, my own grandmother had suffered from dementia for 10 years. And when I learned that knitting was also great at helping us hold on to our memory and for brain health and all these things, I like, there's another reason that I have to do this. Exactly. But so one thing I've learned, I'm always learning, but I'm always trying to be learning. But one new thing, oddly, a friend recommended a book by Anne Hood called Knitting Pearls. And she has a series of books related to knitting and she has writer's reflections on knitting. So knitters don't, many knitters don't just love knitting and everything around knitting, which I mentioned patterns, yarn and so on community, but reading about other people's feelings about knitting (laughs) makes us really happy. So I'm reading this Anne Hood book and it's just delightful. It's men, women, knitters, non-knitters reflecting on knitting, knitted objects and just everything, life, relationships. It's beautiful. Um, It's beautiful to have the opportunity to read accomplished writers talking about knitting. So it's great. And somehow I missed this book. I think it was published just as I was when my son was actually born. So it's sort of, I just missed it. So I'm happy to find it now. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for coming on Who I Met Today. You've inspired me. I'm going to go track down some tutorials and make a proper project, and learn some new stitches. And I thank you for that. You're well on your way, and call me anytime you need help. I will. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much to Tanya for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you did, I hope you'll listen to other episodes and spread the word about this new show. A huge thank you to Brian at Top Tier Audio for his advice and guidance, and thanks to you for tuning in. And remember, I'd love to hear from you if you discover a fun new thing. My email is pam at whoimettoday.com.